in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. It is a silly place. To another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean and Scott here. Hey, hello. Hey, uh, Tony, uh, we gave her the day off today. So, <laughs> she uh, gave herself the day off. Oh, she asked, really. I had no authority over it. She just <laughs> took it off. Uh, but she'll be back uh, next time. Uh, but we are joined by two incredibly uh, nuanced people when it comes to filmmaking. Uh, they're both two timers, they've been on the podcast before. <laughs> Uh, which is always a flattering way to introduce your guests. Reminds me of a dime Dallas page. No. Yeah, Two exactly. Times. <laughs> Two times, that's right. Bring it to wrestling for you guys. Oh, that's, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for the, the WWE, well, the WCW reference. <laughs> um, we have uh, an accomplished playwright, screenwriter, Columbus improviser, Mr. Eric Sternberger. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Gosh, glad to be here. And uh, another favorite of mine, uh, she hosts the uh, podcast, which I'm a huge fan of and have been on, uh, Amanda's uh, Picture Show A Go-Go. Oh, thanks, Sean. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite people, Miss um, Amanda Iman. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Uh, two of my favorite people. This is great. Yeah. Uh, and your lame brother. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, and me. Not the third favorite person. <laughs> they can't all be winners. You know? <laughs> they can't all be winners. We have to deal with what we're dealt. You know? yes. that's, that's my philosophy. I always tell my husband, you chose to join this family. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was your decision. Uh-huh. You know? uh, so today we're going to discuss a movie that, uh, you know, is one of probably a, a, had a huge impact on me, like, especially the troupe that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it makes up the cast of this movie. Uh, it's Monty Python and the Holy Grail from 1975. Uh, and it's, I think for many people, it ranks up as one of the, their favorite comedies, like one of the funniest movies they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I, I want to start out is to go around the table and talk to everybody about how they first came across Monty Python, period, and also specifically the movie. So we'll start with Amanda and we'll go, go around. Okay. Um... I feel like the first time was I came across Monty Python may have been Holy Grail when I was like late elementary school, early middle school. Um, my dad showed the movie to us, and then my brother and I were just like completely enamored, and I wanted to like watch as much Monty Python as I could. Like I, I may have watched some of Flying Circus like late night on PBS. I have like vague memories of that, but yeah, with. Um, 
holy grail, I can't tell you how many times I have seen this movie. And when I was watching it last night, I know we'll get into more of the uh, circumstances of how mm-hmm. we watched it last night. But it was in a theater and I had to really hold myself back from quoting along with the movie <laughs> because there's so I like in high school uh, I had friends that like even if I re- distinctly remember my friend Ben it was his 16th birthday and we all went to his house and yeah it was like a 16th birthday party but we were really cool so we put on Holy Grail and quoted along with it um, as you do when you're 16 and obviously cool kids um mm-hmm. and like that's just like what we would <laughs> do so yeah i love this movie so much and monty python i've been obsessed with for years and watched specials and documentaries and read all kinds of things so i was so excited that you let me be on this episode oh great yeah my time is uh well monty python i think our dad showed us Sean and I, Dad, not we're the only two really did. <laughs> Our collective uh, father yeah, showed if us. If you, this is the first podcast you listen to. Um, uh, he would show us Monty Python and when we were like, I was like probably eight or seven or eight years old, not understanding any of it, you know. Um, but our dad introduced it to us. He was a huge fan. Um, so I don't know if he rented it or watched it on PBS or whatever it was, but I remember seeing it, not understanding it, and then. I think when I was in high school, I came across Monty Python and the Holy Grail and um, liked it. But then they came out with a video game uh, for computer, which was basically the movie, but you would just, in order, but you would just do each scene. And it was just kind of like silly. Um, I remember it was to bring out the dead part. And, and, <laughs> but it was the whole movie, so I pretty much was playing this game trying to beat it. And you just it, it played a lot of scenes from the movie and everything. And um, almost exact. And so I really got ingrained on the movie, and then, and, um, so I've been a huge fan of it ever since. It's just, you know, um, I remember there's with the when he uh, was it Sir Galahad that goes into the uh, um, the castle with all the women. Castle I think there's a, yeah, yeah, Castle <laughs> Anthrax, and he had to spank. I remember in one of the games where he had to spank butts. <laughs> It was stupid, but it was wow. it was the game was very Monty Python. And you were how old playing? Oh, I was like sixteen, seventeen. Okay, so you were having a grand old yeah, time. Yeah, you had to get yeah, through yeah. and spank other uh, But uh, and it, it was a cartoon anime, like the Terry Gilliam animation. Sure. And uh, so that that was my experience growing up on it. Um. So my mom introduced no, I'm just fucking my my dad introduced <laughs> obviously uh, as everyone around the table. Um. It was one of those things where I think whenever I'd, he'd stay up late in the basement watching TV and would fall asleep a lot of times, uh, um, you know, like watching TV before like getting us to bed or something. It was also Dad fell asleep. That meant you got to watch late night TV before he realized it and took you to bed. Uh, so my mom worked uh, third at the hospital at the time. So, you know, we'd be hanging out in the basement. And, yeah, PBS Flying Circus would come on. And I mean, it was like animation and naked ladies. I'm gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, again, you know, age six, seven. It's like I don't know what this is, but it works for me. Yeah. Um, and I think the first full-on collection of stuff I ever saw for uh, Monty Python was Parrot Sketch, not included. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, which some some no-name guy named Steve Martin hosted. 
where it was like a, a best of retrospective, like maybe 10 year, 15 year of Monty Python. Um, I was, that came out like when I was in middle school. Uh, and um, where it basically was just the best of, with the exception of the parrot sketch. Literally what it caught. I, I, I thought even that itself was so, was so meta great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and very them. <laughs> and the entire thing was Steve Martin showing their clips, and at the end, they're all huddled in a closet together. <laughs> and he closes the door on them. They're like, Steve, is the whole point? People to see us? Steve, Steve, open the door, Steve. Um, and, I, and that was it. I, th- I thought, I'm like, okay, like, I remember these guys from Dad. I need to look out, look up their other stuff. And that's when I searched out Holy Grail and Life of Brian and, you know, the rest of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, like, uh, Scott's dad, being my dad, also introduced me <laughs> yeah. to Monty Python. And I, I vividly remember the first time watching it, it was Flying Circus, and MTV was hosting a marathon, like a week-long marathon Ooh. of Flying oh. Circus. This was in the late 80s. And my dad says, you should watch this. It's Monty Python. And I'm watching it, and it was the funniest stuff I had ever seen on television. I, I don't remember, recall laughing as hard as I did when I watched Python for that first week I couldn't wait for the next episode mm-hmm. because television sitcoms and stuff that I was used to seeing they were f- amusing funny but I never really remember laughing as hard as I did when I watched Monty Python it really took like comedy to me like it was like this is really funny like <laughs> this is funny like, like the way we're funny on pl- in, in, at recess at school you know it was, I think at that time comedy in general was so nuclear family yeah everything was so Reaganized on sitcoms. It was. I get that point. And then seeing, for me, exactly what you said. Like, we were mm-hmm. on recess. I'm seeing old, stuffy British people doing the silliest things I've ever thought of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe I don't have to wear a Cosby sweater when I go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And now, you were you very... You really you've been, don't want to I know, that. yeah, yeah. Uh, you've been vindicated. in so many ways. <laughs> you, you've been vindicated so many ways from that oh, decision. Yeah. More than you know. Um and then, like, uh, I think for years later, Holy Grail was playing at my aunt's house. And it had been a while since I had seen Python on TV. And my cousin Randy Parrish was watching it. This is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I'm like, I'm acting like a snob, like, did you know that they actually had a TV show called Flying Circus? <laughs> and he's like, no, no. Like, well, they did. I, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm a connoisseur, even though I haven't seen this movie. You hipstered your cousin. I know, I did. I was, I was very much a hipster at that point. Um, I think the thing I love about them, and I still love about them, is you don't see absurdist comedy as much anymore. Like, these guys existed as a collective to do comedy for the sake of comedy. It's pure comedy. There's There are comments on there, but they're comedic comments. It's never... It's not a dramedy. You know, they don't have these serious moments. It's just they go full bore for these comedic conceits and they throw them out there i think that's part of why i love them absurdism is like possibly my favorite kind of comedy like i love absurdist comedy and it just it's just like you said eric silly like it's so (laughs) it's so incredibly silly and there's just so much like joy in that to me Mm -hmm. and you're you're allowed to just sit there and laugh and enjoy it and you don't I don't know like it's not I enjoy some highbrow comedy stuff too I'm also into like mockumentaries Mm -hmm. but you know Christopher Guest but I feel like 
You don't have to think too hard about some of the silliness of it. At the same point, I think it's silly for silly, but it, it is one so such a satire of stiff upper lip British society at the same time. That mm-hmm. while it is silly, it's not just fart jokes. It's the queen making a fart joke. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's yeah. it, it, it it takes that absurdism and that silly and and, and does elevate it in context. Yeah, especially when they were getting started out, like in the you know late sixties and early seventies and stuff in the UK. That yeah. was, <laughs> and that's BBC where the government pretty much sanctions all their shows. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and I see it like they bookended like the seventies to me is like a a golden age of comedy. Like it was a very r- radically charged. Like it's like people were. Bring up it was like they were they were developing comedies both in stand up and in film, and to some degree on television that were just pushing the boundaries of what people were used to seeing, and I feel like in, on television Python bookended the first end of the seventies and that dovetailed into Saturday Night Live in the second half of the seventies. I feel like that is kind of like <laughs> what kind of well, put it that together. That just reminds me. So I had someone argue the other day that they hate that Saturday Night Live's gotten political. I'm like, you've obviously never watched the show. <laughs> the I entire mean, thing sad. started <laughs> as a political point of view. Wow. That's Shut dumb. up. Yeah, that's dumb. <laughs> but yeah, as, uh, as I said, that's how Saturday Night Live started. And it came yeah. out of, there was that. There was that, um, just that radicalism of comedy at that point in time of people wanting to, uh, to, to break up the common comedy of how people thought things were done yeah you see you do see it at different points in history i'd say you probably saw it similar to that probably around world war ii-ish you kind of saw comedy change at that point you saw i'd argue you're seeing it again right now Mm -hmm. um that i think in 20 years we're going to look back and see uh that you know you're seeing it kind of we're in the middle of it maybe right now with uh well, all the new media, you, right. you yeah. can go straight to the people. You don't have to go through networks and studios and things right. like and that. And you can see people's voices again, like you could when stand-up first start, you know, was really going strong in the 70s. And someone like you know Steve Martin could take the audience out into the street. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and things like that. And even people like Andy Kaufman that are just like right. saying, there may not be a punchline here. I might just continue on this conceit going forward. You know, and I think Python pioneered... Stuff like Annie Kaufman and stuff like Steve Martin, like they were, you know, because they didn't always go for the punchline in their sketches. In fact, they hated or movies, yeah, or movies, <laughs> uh, for that matter. Like they, they even said we we didn't want to spend that much energy trying to develop a great punchline. We wanted to develop the sketch to be that as funny, the content of the sketch to be as funny as possible. And I can kind of relate to that because I'm like, I kind of like the way they do it versus just going for a traditional punchline, you know. Although I respect it when people do it well. And I mean, as we touched upon it there briefly, since you know, obviously, it's, you know, spoilers if anyone hasn't seen it, the ending for Holy Grail, even <laughs> though it is such an anti-comedy non-punchline, it is set up at three different instances throughout the film. Yeah. So that it's not, it doesn't mm-hmm. come out of nowhere. It's not the Sopranos going black, which, right. which I had no problem with. But um, it's not just an out of nowhere. You're we're at bye yeah <laughs> it is actually set up when you went to the end of it you're like or the second viewing you see the things like oh damn it <laughs> yeah well it's a great vignette because it starts off famous a story and he's doing the typical you know bbc documentary mm-hmm. uh you know 
like uh, overview of what they're about to see, and then he gets sliced in the throat, and it's and they cut it so fast that it just mews beautifully, like they just move straight yeah. out of it. You know, I love they have no sentiment with death in Monty Python. It's like if somebody gets no. killed, they move on, and it's a running joke in this. You know, I'm not dead goes throughout this whole movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not dead. I'm actually feeling pretty good right now. I'm gonna and because that's where the heroicism of that, you know. Uh, I'm gonna avenge your death, and what there's no death to avenge, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. you just. <laughs> and what I love about the movie too, and it's like the TV show. It's I th- the difference is they have a, an overarching story and theme, which they also kind of did in Life of Brian. Oh yeah. But it really is just a collection of comedic vignettes, mm-hmm. and I love vignettes. Like I think. The jerk, the Steve Martin, which we covered recently, that's kind of another comedy that has a series of vignettes. Although there is a narrative, more of a narrative and a thread line with that character, it's still a collection of vignettes that Steve Martin had. And I think that Python kind of does a similar thing here. Anchorman, Anchorman, yeah, that's another one. And and again, it shows the danger that you can take that too far with Anchorman too. Yeah, if you don't have that that strong center, if you don't commit either fully, like. Um, Holy Grail, or if you commit to it being a series of vignettes like Life of Brian, or, or Meaning of Life, I'm sorry, like uh, Meaning of mm-hmm. Life. Oh yeah, it was pure yeah. vignettes. Yeah. Which, which is pure vignettes with a, with a spine. It's almost like a like, like a heraldish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you've got that spine running through it, and you're saying, hey, these are vignettes around this. It, it is that fine line to walk down, and I mean, Holy Grail does nail it because you don't realize it till afterwards. Right. Yeah. It feels like a natural progression, too, from and now something completely different. Mm-hmm. Because they went from pure just sketches, you know, sort of compilation, to then, okay, these are still all sketches, but now we've added this overarching story in. Like, you can see sort of, like, their progression and what they're wanting to do. And then I feel like it progresses more than when you go into Life of Brian. I feel like the story mm-hmm. is yeah. even more overarching in that one. Yeah, and, it, 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 you know, I'll, I might mention this later on too, but I'll say it now, is I think, you know, I kind of prefer Life of Brian to Holy Grail for that reason to some degree. You know, it actually is my favorite Python film, oh, probably okay. for that reason. Although this, is, it's it's not like... Uh, <laughs> You got a strong I'm, army into this movie. I'm, I think it's I'm classic. There, actually, Sean. Yeah. So, <laughs> Life of Brian uh, is something that I've watched quite a few times on uh, Easter Sunday instead of Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's a smart Watching move. Watching Life of Brian. I uh, <laughs> five across the table. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to watch Ten Commandments? It's been four hours. Okay, so. <laughs> you know that's Python esque when you see Heston's acting, though. I mean, that's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Try to act through gritted teeth is it has to. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. Mm, you know. Well, that way they can ADR it easier. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I, I think is great about this movie, though, is the visual s- style because Terry Gilliam, you know, he went on to be an amazing filmmaker in his own right, and this mm-hmm. is the first film he ever directed because you know, he's also a Python. Um, it, it, it it's gritty and it looks like the realistic middle ages you know because we have a glorified account prior to this movie i think like movies like camelot that kind of romanticize mm-hmm. the middle Blinded ages winter, everything's yeah. very clean this looks like okay there's a lot of plagues and death and forest and darkness everywhere well, in grit and like in the one scene we're like how do you know he's a king because he's not covered in shit like <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah like, well, <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's where the fun satire that comes in is the fact that anytime you see peasants 
they're not doing actual work. They're throwing mud from one spot to another. Yeah. Yeah. Beating a river with a stick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is these kinds of things that there, there's that there's that satire in that. Like there's that yeah. underlying saying that they just they're just keeping the peasants busy. Yeah. Uh, because they don't matter, and and again, it's also it's pretty sweet for your budget when you're making a low budget oh, film yeah. that you don't need to make a, uh, an entire field of grain for someone to harvest. I don't know, I'm throw mud from one spot to another. <laughs> All right, nailed it. This is a textbook example of how you uh, make a comedy with budgetary limitations. Like this is how you mm-hmm. use limitations to your advantage. Smoke, a yeah. lot of smoke, <laughs> yeah, lot, lot of smoke. Oh, no horses, yeah. yeah, no horses. Coconuts instead. You can just make it a joke, and it works for them. I mean, everything works in their favor no matter what yeah. happens yeah. you know I think when you mentioned Anchorman especially the sequel I think that's comedies in large budgets don't mesh well I think when you have so, so much at your disposal and you have all these CGI effects you can add to the comedy it's like comedy works better cheap for me so, I, you yeah know. the guy your guy getting hit with a trident in, in Anchorman <laughs> is so much better than like Kanye turning into a werewolf or yeah, something yeah, like in the yeah it's one. just comedically more fun yeah, yeah. it is yeah. it's just like, uh, the only one that I could see uh, has, uh, Ghostbusters is probably the crown jewel of, you know, at the time, really good special effects. Yeah. And, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and comedy still doesn't suffer. Um, but. Um, well, I think that's because they used it correctly and didn't be like, let's kill 20 minutes of special effects. No. We need special effects for this scene. We need explosions. Yeah. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah, they, they used it for. Yeah. It, and it was practical effects. I think it just gave it more weight. Like the State Puff Marshmallow Man had more gravitas because it looks like it actually. If that was CGI, it would not look as cool. And I, you know that's what they would do now. But uh, no, that is what they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a phrase uh, one of my friends I said at one point. Was, I can't wait for one of these big budget comedy or superhero movies to not end with a giant asshole in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since you said that, I'm like. Oh god, they yes. Oh my yeah. god, it's so true. It's it is. a swirling circle thing in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> when did that, yeah. When it, I think things. Ghostbusters originated the the asshole in the sky. Though. They <laughs> yeah, pioneered yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was the... yeah. But yeah, ever since they said that phrase, I was like, oh god. <laughs> I remember seeing Suicide Squad, and we both said, this is like the ending to Ghostbusters. Yeah. In fact, the Enchantress is really, was it Gozer? <laughs> you know, they're the same character. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that Suicide Squad is derivative? Yeah. Hey, You're what, shocking me here. Let me remind you, it's an Oscar-winning film. Yeah. <laughs> oh not, my God. not a Stephen Lynch film. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can put it on. <laughs> but as far as the effects of this go... I love this is the funniest use of blood and violence in any movie like the way uh, there's blood gushing everywhere in this film but it is funny every time and the the classic example is a black knight I mean that is comedy gold Uh, it's a masterpiece in and of itself oh that whole scene I just can't help but like giggle and (laughs) and I do want to say like seeing it on the big screen last night was Mm -hmm. amazing I thought it was a yeah. really crisp cut of it. Like, it yeah. looked really good. Oh, it was beautiful. And... Joe's. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, gosh, Eric. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just let everyone you don't know. come back and double down on making a feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, Amanda Scott, Tony, and I got to see at the Ohio Theater last night a screening of, of Holy Grail with a Q&A with John Cleese afterwards. So that was an amazing experience. Yes. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I mean, the... the 
the it was a very clear and crisp cut of the movie. Like I'm assuming they used a Blu-ray or something, but it yeah. looked great. And that whole scene, I just felt like there were like details I hadn't ever seen before from like watching it on VHS and like <laughs> birthday parties in high school or whatever. Right. <laughs> just him like kicking when he has no arms left and still like uh, shuffling my around. Moment, oh. My favorite moment of Black Knight is when he, he, King Arthur kneels down to pray. And he gets interrupted every time he does it in the movie. <laughs> but when he just kneels down to pray and he gets kicked in the head. And I don't know what's up about that. It just makes me laugh. Because it is unexpected. Yeah. Like, he is really committed to prayer. And, and it's he's... like, you know, Graham Chapman is, is fantastic. Oh, in this movie, oh by as the like way. the straight man. As yeah. a straight man, yeah. as King mm-hmm. Arthur. It is a beautiful performance. Oh, it's awesome. Uh, and I, it's an example of that. When he gets kicked in the head, it is so unexpected because he is so committed to praying. You don't anticipate <laughs> anything happening. And, and he has such an uh, honest reaction to being disrupted from his prayer. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. it, that, and that's one of the great things and that's what great straight men it's like react honestly yeah mm-hmm. it's all comedy it's like it, it gets funnier because it reacts honestly you're absolutely right and, I mean, and it, it, it's funny because they do it they they do the the it's unexpected because um, sometimes your reactions are unexpected but they are what any normal person would, how they would react yeah. to that situation so that's what's funny about it because they don't they react how we would react not how a, you know a hero reacts <laughs> just to someone with no arms kicking him <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah except for that you know the silliness there yeah it's merely a flesh wound merely a flesh wound that's John Cleese I think playing the Black Knight oh, yeah. I think. oh yeah, okay so. yep. um, no it isn't <laughs> Well played. Well played. Like he's yeah. literally just a stump. He's yeah. like, come back here and oh, bite your that. legs off. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> and they film it beautifully too because the camera moves up so quickly. It's like a like a like a mise en scene, like a French new wave. It's like really very realistic. Like it's well, a, what's also is just the, the battle of the other night that he watches yeah. from afar. Oh yeah, that's hilarious. Just him watching <laughs> and he kills it and he's taking that. Sword out of that guy's face. Yeah. You know? He puts his foot on his <laughs> And then he's just standing there like this. You know, he's standing there. Well, this Holding is an audio, you know, this is an audio medium, but he's got yeah. the sword. And... and I can't think of that scene without the theme. That the music theme that they play yeah. throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. That's in my head every time I see this movie for the, days afterwards. The thing I always love, too, and talking about like budget and everything, with the Black Knight and Unshell Pass, is ostensibly just in the middle of the forest <laughs> there's not a bridge there no there's not like there's no way that they can't just like You're walk right. a quarter mile and walk a quarter mile no it's like it's literally just like a, a field yeah it's like a little footpath right it is. it's and which again they you know leaning into that it's the fact that it's like we don't have the budget. We know this is stupid. We're going to play it as serious as possible. But you, you, you never at one point when you're watching it, you know, it's, I think it's, it's it's funny because I think all the characters are bound by the tropes of, yes. of <laughs> the King Arthur legend. So, yeah. And it's like, we're just going to bow in because that's what we do. <laughs> it's true, Amanda. This is our second King Arthur podcast. It's true. <laughs> on my, yeah, on Amanda's picture show, <laughs> we, Eric and I covered... Uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword, a wow. uh, yeah. less actually less accurate Arthurian legend yeah. movie. Check, check out our review though. It's, it, 
It was fun. Yeah. 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 Well, I can't wait till you guys do Excalibur next time, too, so just to cover the trade. Oh. Yeah, who are the best King Arthurs that play King Arthur in movies? Mm. Oh, uh, Sean Connery. Sean Connery, Sean Connery yeah. Uh, Grant Chapman. Mm-hmm. And uh, who played it in the... Uh, who Charlie. Was Char- Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. He Which had the best he was abs. actually. Yeah. He had the best abs. Yeah, he did. <laughs> the King Arthur Awards, best abs. <laughs> I think that is actually an MTV category. <laughs> Probably but, is. But now it is unisex, so best unisex abs that. is unisex. totally unisex. impressive. There's no, yeah. yeah. It could be anybody. It could That's be. progress, you know. <laughs> um, another one I love, like you were talking about politics earlier, is the peasant scene where he starts talking about the uh, yeah. the uh, mm-hmm. monarchy and trying to break it down and they have no clue who he is and they're on this commune. I die laughing every time Michael Palin gives that speech. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was funny seeing that in the theater last night too because you could hear like some people laughing at that so much mm-hmm. and other people just being like, I don't quite understand what these big words are. You know, you know that, that, that <laughs> is something I thought of when you were saying about how you know you first watched it in high school, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's got that as well. It's like, I feel like this was kind of one of those movies, and I'm curious if it still is, or what the current equivalent is. That like around that high school age, you kind of discovered, and the comedy nerds found themselves. Yeah. As a, as yeah. a quote, yeah. this was kind of one of those movies where it was like the comedy nerds and genre nerds mm-hmm. and, and everything, we all kind of found each other mm-hmm. right around this movie because then you knew, mm-hmm. whenever someone quoted it, you knew, ah, they got there it. There you go. And then yeah. the other people that didn't quote it, like, that's stupid. I'm like, oh, you're sitting at the other table. Yeah. I remember going to an honors band my senior year at Bowling Green and in the bathrooms of the music building there were that they'd posted signs that saying like the knights of knee were going to keep saying knee at you unless you came to so and so senior recital or whatever (laughs) and i remember thinking yes that is amazing and like whoever i was there with was like i don't know and i and i was like oh you don't get it like (laughs) you just don't get it and i remember thinking Whoever that is is my kind of person that they are advertising for their senior recital with the Knights of Need. Yeah. Like. Everyone that didn't went home and watched according to Jim. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, uh... About the same time, I'm not sure you're younger than me, so I don't know uh, the time. No. Possibly, no. I didn't watch that show. Exactly. <laughs> right, I know. That's how I identify people. If they they watched according to Jim, I knew we were kindred spirits. So we have a connection. Oh, good, you like the Lester Belushi brother as right, well. Right, right. I bet you like Will and Grace, too. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um... <laughs> I, well, I, know a lot I, I do respect Will and Grace. Grace. It is a good show. It's a well-written show. Um, but but uh, it's so mad about you. Oh, mad about you. There. Yeah, mad about you. There you Paul go. Reiser. Yeah. You know, mad about you. And it's uh, the second best Paul Reiser sitcom. Yeah. Any the Tim Allen show? Being aliens. <laughs> the other one being My Two Dads. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> aliens is sitcom. I laugh every time. <laughs> Boston Commons, man. Any anything that lead was in because oh, that guy made fifty sitcoms in the nineties. I followed him. Speaking of medieval comedies, yes. Paul Reiser does a small part in The Little Hours. If you guys haven't seen that okay. movie, oh, he, okay. it was, it's just a small part, but he's hilarious. I gotta see it. that. I hear that. You so really pretty. do. It's, it's so funny. I saw it's actually yeah. uh, on Voodoo currently. 
I know it's out in theater, digital in, download right yeah, now. Well, in theater rental. And that seems that like that's, that's in this vein. It, yeah. it totally it, is. Yeah. I saw it on the big screen with my sister, and I loved it. It was yeah. so funny. And yeah, very much in this vein. Satire of the time, and then everything. Yeah. yeah. A lot of religion, more in like Life of Brian yeah. realm. Yeah. But yeah. I I'm like like Eric was saying earlier. I, I agree with you. Like this is like a comedy nerd's like entry point mm-hmm. into like identifying. Yeah. The Simpsons was like that for me too. If people were quoting The Simpsons and got it, you know, in the way that like our family watched it, it's like, oh yeah, they they're onto it, you know, <laughs> you know. And then you become an elitist, and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you develops a superiority. Yeah. The birthday party I distinctly remember watching in the set. I was one of the one of like two girls who had ever even seen the movie before. It <laughs> checks out. Yeah. yeah, and that yeah, and who <laughs> wanted yeah. to like watch it and quote along with it. I remember it was like me and this one other girl, and all of the rest of them were like, "Why are we watching this?" So I'm like, "Cause yeah. it's great, yeah. guys." Well, yeah. so that's, that's that's a good thing though. This, this does a lot of times tend to be like, and obviously I think having a cast of basically all men uh, yeah. does tend to be more of like a male comedy nerd kind of touch. What would be like a good? Is there, was there any like that like all the girls liked that the guys didn't? Do the comedy nerd kind of clueless. Is a yeah, big one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a good. I choice. mean, that's twenty years later. Oh, yeah. But oh, it was twenty years later for this. But yeah, I mean, Clueless <laughs> is one of those. I feel like a lot of guys are like, "Oh, that's a chick flick. I'm not going to watch it." And it's so not like it's yeah, hilarious. It's, it's and a good movie. Yeah. It's a really great movie. Like Mean Girls is kind of like that. Oh, Mean Girls, a recent one. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean Girls totally is. Which I think so many people forget. Mean Girls is written by Tina Fey, yes. and yeah. it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, oh my god, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. And yeah, but it, it is like, you know, Ashley just like, I never, I don't care to watch any Monty Python just because she, she doesn't feel, she doesn't think it's for her, but mm-hmm. she does, she loves Mean Girls and Clueless. Yeah, so it's one of those, have her watch The Little Hours then, because it's yeah. in the vein of this, but it's like produced by women and stars yeah. women, yeah. And, yeah. and I'm kind of curious though, like, what is it about Python, like, what do you think that would prevent people, like, because there are people who just don't, like it they're just not for them I think it's because they so commit to what they're doing and they're not afraid to be absurd that that might be off-putting to there's other some sexism oh, I mean oh, yeah. straight up is like the whole castle anthrax bit <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's lampshaded sexism but it is definitely sexism yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and I think part of it too is that you have men playing women's parts a lot of the time yeah. not I mean not all the time in both this and Life of Brian there are actual women playing women's parts but mm, not on a TV show yeah sure. on the yeah. TV show no it was all them and so I think now you know it's sort of like well why did you guys have to be a boys club when there were funny women like mm-hmm. John Cleese's first wife who is in this movie as mm-hmm. the witch and who yeah. wrote Faulty Towers with him like right. okay so why couldn't you let any women into your boys club kind of thing. Who's the lead actress in Castle Anthrax? Because she's terrific too. Like, I wish oh, I'd seen more of her in there. Yeah. She, she was a Monty Python regular. She was, yeah. She was on yeah. Flying Circus a lot. Yeah, and I'm, I, I feel so bad. I want to say her name's Carol, but I'm completely... But I, probably I, I think you're close to that. Was it uh, Carol Cleveland? Yeah. Carol Cleveland, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I knew, I knew it was... Uh, yeah. Oh, naughty zoot, naughty naughty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She kind of popped up occasionally. It was like a like a almost like a featured SNL player. Just yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. She was a she would play if, if they needed someone that was unquestionably female. Yeah, um, <laughs> they couldn't. That was kind of like my issue with like kids in the hall. Like you know, 
It was kind of like they would do the same Monty Python thing. Well, the one thing I love about Kids in the Hall, though, um, I think they had women at some point. They had, like again, like some featured uh, women that they yeah. would use. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that they, they why they were specifically played women a lot uh, was, was the five of them. They basically would look at a scene, a scene that they'd write and say, we don't have any women in this. Why does this have to be, why does this character have to be a man? And they just flip it. Like instantaneously. Oh, right. Okay. So that was one of the things, I know Scott Thompson was big on that. That's yeah. why he played a lot of women. Yeah, just was, to slip it, yeah. yeah he, he looked at it and goes, there's no reason why this businessman can't be a businesswoman. We've got four, five guys in the scene. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they would constantly do that with yeah. their stuff. They'd look at it and say, is there a reason why this isn't a woman? Mm-hmm. Which I thought was not, was neat. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it that's is. nice. But I mean, it's always better if you have women to start with. Oh, it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah as I look <laughs> back on it, too. like, why why didn't that happen more often? Because I'm like, you know, w- w- you know, this may shock people, but women actually are funny, and yeah. as funny as men, sometimes funnier well, than men. There's, um, without getting too into it, there's an awesome chart on that. Oh, I bet there is. Of um, admissions to comedy schools and percentages of women and minorities to... Uh, each specific school and how it filters out. That is extremely interesting. Oh, I bet. Um, Second City having the highest percentage of, of females. Yeah, I would... of all the other schools. Yeah, mm-hmm. good for that Second City. Yeah. But yes, and but it, it's a really interesting thing. Where it's kind of like the problem isn't up here. The problem's down here. Yeah. Well, I think that when, people, when you see yeah. more like the little hours, you see more. Yeah. Like, like, you know. Examples of like, oh, I want to be like that as opposed mm-hmm. to like this. Well, there's yeah. even been like two comedies out this summer. You had Rough Night and Girls Trip. Yes. That, that were also that sort of like raucous female comedy that, you know, mm-hmm. you don't get as much. I, I will admit I've not seen Girls Trip yet. I plan on watching that yeah. one. But I saw Rough Night and talked about it on a couple different podcasts. And yeah. it was interesting because that was when... I know more women liked it and men did not. And it's kind of like, like for me, one of the great parts about it is the, the mm-hmm. characters felt like real women and their friendships felt real. Yeah. And I just don't know. Like, What's funny because I've heard about more people like Girls Night or Girls Trip. Girls Trip, yeah. yeah as a general, men and women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, like I said, I haven't seen yet. I, plan. I still need to see both of those. Yeah, too, I plan yeah. to. But, it, yeah, it's Isn't just... Is this a sequel to Bridesmaids? The Drop Night? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the problem. <laughs> no, it's not. Next you're going to have that problem. Over four. I'm, I'm not looking forward at all to Bad Mom's Christmas, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Bad Mom's Christmas? Well, and then that's another thing, is that's actually written by men yeah. starring mm-hmm. women, like the original Bad Mom's was, whereas... Rough Night is written by a woman, yeah. And I wonder if back in the day, if Python, they did that conceit of having men play women to add to the absurdity of the show. Like, right. yeah. Which like, I think it, may have been what they were going Like, especially for. in, like, Life of Brian, it doesn't bother me that Brian's mom is played, but it's Terry Jones, right? Yeah. Like, he seems to be the king of playing women yeah, in the movies, like, too. Yeah, I actually think Terry that's Jones. really funny. Yeah. But I think, you know, going back to, like, Eric's original question, like, why women don't always gravitate towards Monty Python, I think that has something to do with it. That's not Granted, I went and saw it last night with two other women who are huge Monty Python right, right. fans. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Me, what was it, um, one of the things Tina Fey said before she was head writer, I can't remember the show it was, but it was 
it was one of the shows before she was head writer on Saturday Night Live, and the host did something in a dress. I, oh, and it was to be, I and, know what you're talking about. The point was, if the whole joke is that he is a woman, then just have a woman do the part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was her whole thing. But like, and it was it was an amazing. I can't remember the comments on it. Was, it was, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, oh. and I don't think Monty Python is necessarily doing. Oh, they're in a dress. That's why it's funny. I know. No, yeah. yeah, they're in a. They're acting insane. That's yeah. Why right. They're, they're being ridiculous yeah. as a character. We've got nothing. I don't know. Put Ram in a dress. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're usually the exception to the role for me, but generally that's not a conceit in comedy. I love women in drag, although a lot of the best comedies ever made, there's like a couple of them that had that conceit, Tootsie and Some Like It Hot. But there's so much more going there on is. in both of those yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Mrs. Doubtfire, by the way. I'll just put that. That's where it jumped the shark for me. <laughs> Men in drag. Mm-hmm. As playing women, like, you know. Because I'm just like, okay, that's just watered down. It's, you know, I was, you know, I was out for Big Mama's House too, but Big Mama's House. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it really, that's when the, that's when the, uh, when the that's when the franchise found its. Yeah, funny. don't get me started on Tyler Perry, guys. You know, uh-huh. that's, <laughs> I mean, I think in general, there's it's starting to go away from that because there was. I don't know, some really bad sitcom a few years ago, like Work It or something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Where the whole conceit was like these two guys to get ahead in business decided to be dressed as women or something. Especially Bosom Buddies reboot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it totally yeah. bombed and <laughs> had, God. you know, only aired a handful of episodes. Thank yeah. God, because even that was like five years ago and people were like, this doesn't feel <laughs> right, <laughs> right anymore. <laughs> and I'll confess, I, I I loved Bosom Buddies back in the day. I mean, Tom Hanks, what could I... <laughs> that was 30 years ago, that was 30 not years five ago. years ago. Exactly, like, exactly. It is kind of weird, though, how it, a lot of times it, it, it is that, like with comedy, that what's funny at the time may not be funny now. And you look back on it, especially yeah. with, like, with uh, Mel Brooks' recent comments about, uh, about Blazing Saddles. It's like you think about some of these jokes you might not be able to get away with today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, John Cleese addressed that too, and he kind of felt the same way that Mel Brooks did about what they consider political correctness. I interpret this this way with that. It's they like using an edgy satire to get people's attention mm-hmm. to go anti something else. So I think it's always about intent, but maybe they think that they're because even Jerry Seinfeld was complaining, I can't do college campuses anymore because they're offended by anything. Although I laugh, like, what is Seinfeld saying in his head that's really <laughs> that's offending anybody? Yeah, it's all about I am like very innocuous pro driveway and anti. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> like, um, <laughs> and the kids go, "What are you talking Ricker. about?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, that's where I get like where uh, Dave Foley's comments on PC, where he's like, people completely get politically correctness wrong. Mm-hmm. He's like. It doesn't mean not saying things or anything. It basically means knowing why you're saying it. Yes. And right. that's the whole point. And the problem a lot of times is, unfortunately nowadays, on both sides, people don't take the time to actually think about why you're saying the thing you're saying. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're not thinking constructively around the joke or whatever. And granted, there are people making terrible jokes that are completely... Not PC in the fact they're making them for the wrong reason due to intent, audience, perception, or agenda. But if you, a lot of people just don't look into the joke. I, yeah. I think the thing is that the joke, there has to be a conceit with the joke that lets people know, 
your intention in, in terms of you can't just make a racial slur for the sake of making a racial slur. There has to be context I'm behind shocking, that. Shocking, Sean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I it's still it's still it's still problematic though because even I'm not somebody that's going to do that with my act. But I also understand like I love Blazing Saddles, but I know Blazing Saddles was made during a time. It's it's complicated. I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but I know I think people kind of recognize Mel Brooks's intent with that movie. Oh, it's completely anti-racist. Smart people in the film are the black people. The dumbest people are the white people who are racist, right? And they say and they do what racist people do. And the joke is these people are stupid. They're stupid. You know, the the great scene is when Gene Wilder goes, "These are people of land, you know, morons." Yeah, Yeah, it's all about that intent. Yeah. It's a skill too. Like I guess South Park has gotten away with it for twenty years. They're like the one guy, the, the two people well, that can get away with it. Go being after this. everybody. Nobody can. Be they do. Yeah. 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 I heard an interview with one of them. I can't remember which one it was recently. Who said like if we tried to start this show now, it wouldn't go through. But because we've been making fun of everyone, no matter what, for twenty years, it still works. They have credibility now with, with that mm-hmm. with people. I mean, they t- Team America. I mean, they, I, it's funny what, what happened with the interview, and you watch Team America, oh, yeah. and you're just like, so they got in trouble with the interview from North Korea, and then you watch Team America, right, and, right? It's, and it's just pretty much... Maybe it's because they're like, oh, puppets aren't things people are going to go watch, yeah. except I saw it in the theater. Yeah. No, I, that was one of the hardest I've ever laughed at. <laughs> So with this movie, um, <laughs> this is great. This is my well, segue back. That's the problem with talking about this movie is it has influenced so it's much. So much yeah. you have to Over talk about all of it. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. I mean, we have to go in diversions with this well, to show yeah, how influential it is. Comedy as a whole. Yeah, because this had such an impact. I think it's like pre Python and post Python for modern comedy. Like I think modern mm-hmm. comedy really came into being because of Monty Python. They were like one of the big, you know, maybe Richard Pryor and George Carlin and those guys. You know, contributed to that too, but yeah, Python was really at the center. Were, they were definitely a cornerstone of the movement at that at that time. They were, yeah. Um, some of the scenes, like I, I love the scene. I think it's when I think it's Lancelot is commissioned by that young prince to come into the, the castle. <laughs> That's so beautifully orchestrated. Oh. <laughs> when he starts that. killing everybody in the castle as as a hero, is beautiful. And the pacing is it's such a slow scene leading up to that. With the the wordplay mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. the you know I'm to stay here it's like, it's like the, it's the entire guards. slow wordplay and build up of that scene to suddenly madcap chaos of everyone getting slaughtered <laughs> from witty wordplay and slow tempo it's just like, yeah but it, it still it's it's just it just ebb and flows and it just the bride being covered in blood I just always think. <laughs> And then they sing. <laughs> right, yeah. and then they sing the song. He's yeah. going to tell. He's yeah. going to tell. And I also love when, you know, the, the comedy has like the rule of three or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they break Five. that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because when it's the, you see Lancelot running and you see like the guards just like sitting there like mm-hmm. munching and like hanging out. It's five times that it cuts back to him. So I love that they like layer all of that in throughout the movie. Yeah, <laughs> the movie, I love that too. And that they're breaking the rules, and that, you know they're not following the rules of comedy. And One, two, five. 
Yeah. <laughs> An example of that is the bridge scene, which is one of my favorites. After watching it last night, it may be one of my favorites with the troll at the bridge. Mm-hmm. Where he goes, I'm going to ask you three questions. <laughs> yeah, what's your name? <laughs> what is your favorite color? And the guy crosses over. Then the next guy comes in and he gives him this really elaborate question. He goes, I don't know. And he, he springs over. Yeah. Then the third guy comes in. And he misses his favorite color. Yeah. That, that is beautiful. That is like beyond genius. I have it on a comedy CD a friend burned for me, and I listen to it all the time. Well, then the best part is you think they're going to go through everybody. Yeah. And you think you're going to get, again, like five of people going through. Yeah. And instead, Graham stumps him and it flies away. And he, and he gets ejected. You're like, oh, I thought we were going to go through everybody here. Yeah, yeah it is. Like, too. You, you just set a rule. Broke it and then completely tripped it out. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's just beautiful. When the troll goes over the bridge, that's just killer. And the the other thing is like uh, Tim the Enchanter, which I heard was an improvised line by John Cleese because he could not remember the character's actual name. So he goes, My name is Tim. Oh my god, that got one of the biggest laughs last night, too. Even when you know it's coming, it's just so. And the way he just Please. shoots all that fire, like it's yeah, like a he's spectacle. Just, just <laughs> he's yeah. blowing shit up. I love when they're like, well, clearly you're a busy man. Yeah, they start <laughs> clapping after one. <laughs> it's beautiful. I mean, that's just, and then you have the whole rabbit in the cave, oh, which God. is just one of the horrible pointy teeth. Best pieces of merchandise they've ever sold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when it flips off the first time and takes that guy's head off and all the blood <laughs> squirting everywhere is. I mean, I don't think I've laughed harder at the first time I saw that. The thing to shoot the ram when they're going. In there, it's just like you know, and then the point of view shots, you know, oh, it's, and then the runaway that's the that's another one, run away. and that's something that is, I feel like, is in the vernacular when you hear people like just go, like, run away, there are two things that I love. Like, number one, they break the fourth wall, but they'll come back to the fourth wall. They're one of the few acts that could break all these roles we're talking about. But they'll also just take everything ten steps further than anyone else will. Like the bridge scene we just discussed, it's like it's threes, fours, but it always takes you. You think you have this joke figured out, mm-hmm. but then they're going to take it in another direction completely. Mm-hmm. And I love that they're they explore every possibility in a scene. They don't leave anything <laughs> for broke. And the entire thing is a callback to the first scene. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> with the sparrow. It is. Yeah. Again, and another, you know, which you know is a is a comedy role. It yeah, is that they bring into somehow. It's like they, it's like whatever the rules were, they went against what everyone else would do. You know, like uh, the 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 ah where he goes ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and then they go to the castle. Uh. <laughs> well, they're clearly doing things that would make them laugh, and, and it's funny to them. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes some comedies are written for what they think. You can see a comedy written like. I think the audience would think this is funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, as opposed to, this makes us laugh, because this is hilarious to us. And well, and that was one thing John Cleese said in the Q&A last night, was, you know, when he was writing, if Graham started laughing, they knew the audience mm. would think it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's something, too, you're talking about the, the audience uh, with this, and how there isn't as much absurdism you know, in comedy now that's... Mm-hmm. That feels the same way as this, and so I almost feel like the absurdism of that time has become the um, the reference humor of today, mm-hmm. and which is that so much of stuff is it's not like absurd or funny. It's oh, I get that, 
Yeah, that it's so much modern comedy is it's too much of that in my in my opinion. Well, I think a lot of it too is is uh, I think Python those guys fully committed and there's no vanity there mm-hmm. whatsoever. They just yeah. fully commit to this, like they commit to this looking like the Middle Ages and com- you know it feels like a self-contained world in and of itself, which I always love in any film. But I think nowadays. It's self-referential, and I think there's more vanity with people. They're not afraid to be funny in the way that Python was funny. There are some performers, like Jack Black is not afraid to just go have, full bore. Have, have you seen Ash vs. Evil Dead? I have not, no. Oh my god. That is probably the best example that I can give of like insane absurdity and like people just... For comedy. Wow. I mean, there is a scene at one point where a cadaver's entrails go out the butthole strangle ash and pull him into the cadaver through the butt <laughs> and of, of a cadaver that's being dissected so he's like his face is now in the stomach having gone up <laughs> it's like running around with a cadaver over his shoulder that's bruce campbell right yes. okay of and course it's like the, yeah. that ability to commit it's it's one of those like it's disgusting mm-hmm. i was laughing my ass off when i saw it mm-hmm. but like i can't think of like any too many people nowadays that will go that far with everything or are or, or allowed to yeah in, in a modern mainstream why well, I, I just think committing to some of these conceits like the black knight just doing something like that and i think i read an article about this a while back that the absurd comedies the silly comedies that we all grew up with like airplane that were also kind of satirical spoofs oh, yeah. like blazing saddles like even the python films you don't really see anything like that anymore it got watered down. Like, that stuff got watered down by the 90s and the early 2000s, the scary movie movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that what, stuff. Yeah. The first one's good, but it, yeah, kind of Yeah, it, it wasn't... Like, The Naked Gun, I think, might have been the last truly great comedy of that mm. type, you know, that come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Coens still do that. The Coens still have oh, that yeah. absurdist bent. Uh, but that's about the all I can think of. Oh, me too. Me too. Even though, even <laughs> me though it's too. technically not them, it's a script nah. they wrote. But it's a man who appreciates absurdity, George oh, Clooney. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, he's directing a script they wrote. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are great. Uh, who, um, Who's your favorite member of the troupe? Like, is there anybody oh. you gravitate towards? I think they work really well as an ensemble, and they're all amazing. God, that's tough. Uh, yeah. Maybe Eric Idle? That would be my choice, too. I love Eric Idle, even, like, outside of Python. But, I mean, all of that. I think they all have their their talents and different things. And, you know, obviously I do love John Cleese if I went and saw him last yeah. night. Um, but, yeah, there's something about Eric Idle. Like, I recently rewatched Casper for my podcast. And Eric Idle's in that. And he's... I mean, it's a silly kids movie from the '90s, but he's funny in it. Like, you know, I don't know. There's something about Eric Idle that I've always. Baron Munchausen. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. Exactly. Terry Gilliam. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like the, both of them, and that one, that one's so. Oh good. my god, that's another. I feel like comedy nerd movie that people don't know about, but it's so. Weirdly wonderful. enough, one of my sister's favorite movies at the time. Oh wow. Yeah. I love that movie. I've owned it for years. It's great. I haven't seen it in years myself, but I remember loving mm-hmm. it as a kid. I think uh, my just I, I think it's very hard number one to pick a favorite because they work so well. Right. Uh, yeah. But I always enjoy Michael Palin, you know, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. he's kind of like the is he probably like well he's probably like fourth. Carrie Gilman being the director and Eric yeah. Idle and John Cleese being more, but he's probably the fourth most famous. Um, but he's 
I, I just think he's hilarious in everything I've seen. Anime. And he's great in A Fish Called Wanda exactly, with John yeah. Peace, oh, like. yeah. Amazing. And if you watch all the Flying Circus stuff, he's, just, he's amazing. And, uh, he was the most versatile. He's the one who could yeah. play all these different characters. Like yeah. You think he has the most in this film. He's 12 roles. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. just a really talented dude. It's tough. I, was, I think growing up it was always Cleese. Mm-hmm. But it is one of those things like to try to pick your favorite. You you can't. You know, sometimes it's like when you know it's like you know I want this flavor of ice cream today. You know, some sometimes you know someone else hits you better on any specific day. Mm-hmm. I I think as I've gotten older, Graham might be my favorite. Yeah, um, underappreciated because he played the straight man. Yeah, most of the just films. because of how much lifting, like being more conscious about comedy and writing comedy and everything seeing how much lifting he's actually doing without getting the mm-hmm. lines so much yeah. of, of mm-hmm. what he's doing he might be my favorite kind of now but again like, it was always Cleese growing up and each one of you guys as you made your uh, choice was like <laughs> well, yeah I mean obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's how I felt yeah. whoever Sean's gonna pick it's always yeah. I mean it's hard not to pick Gilliam as well you know Gilliam as well because it's the directing but yeah, yeah. I love them all. I mean, I think I might be partial to Eric Idle. I don't know what it is about Eric Idle. I mean, mm-hmm. just there's something about him that always makes me laugh. Like Sir Robin, like that's all right, lads. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, Sir stuff Robin, which is beautiful <laughs> in and of itself. Um, and I love John Cleese as a kid. I actually thought when I first started watching Flying Circus, when I watched the marathon, that John Cleese's name was Monty Python. <laughs> But I was like, Dad, who's which one is Monty Python? Because this is his show. It's Monty Python's Flying Circus. Which one? Which one is who is Monty? I, I assume John Cleese was because he's the one that stood out for me the most. Yeah. You know, but I, I, you know, Eric Idle and John Cleese would probably be my my other favorite. That title was really hard for an eight year old to wrap his mind around. <laughs> yeah, they were. Like, <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just like. I don't understand just, you know, <laughs> fun names just for the sake of being fun. Yeah. Speaking of that, then, does everyone have a favorite Flying Circus sketch? Oh, um, there's one. It's kind of obscure, but I think it's a bunch of philosophers playing soccer. Yes! Yeah, that's yeah. my oh favorite my God, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, so easy, it's an idea. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think it was like the German existentialist versus the Greek scholars. Yes, yes. Yeah, like Socrates was like tripping down. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That was amazing. Oh, awesome. yeah, I think one of my favorites is like the talk show where they're interviewing like what, two Shad Johnson? No, no, no. I only have one. <laughs> but you said, no, I said once, uh, I thought I might get two sheds, but I didn't. <laughs> that one's amazing. And they just keep referring to him as two sheds, two shed Johnson, no matter what. Oh, uh, my God. It's, it's like just like that little, they yeah. made an entire damn sketch about that. They did. And like that's, just love that. Yeah, it's a so, um... I like the Ministry of Silly Walks. Oh, that's oh, a yeah. great one. Um, and that, it's probably the one that comes to my mind. I'm sure there's others I might like. I just can't. Uh, you know, I. Um, it's actually been a while. I want to really go back and like watch. Yeah, I don't think I've um, watched a lot of Flying Circus since I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to go back and revisit my, a lot of that stuff, too. It's funny, because my two favorite um, British comedies that I can watch is... And a lot of people like a lot. I mean... My our mother watches British dramas like you know that's their favorite thing to watch. Um, they're pretty awesome. They're pretty awesome. Just saying. Uh, but uh, like Faulty Towers, I I probably I have to get that a watch to see if you know I would like that. But 
Um, and these are probably the two main fears, Monty Python and Mr. Bean. Mm. You know? Mm. Two very yeah. vastly different. Yes. Um, but uh, both brilliant in their own kind of way. And, and um, um, so... Yeah, I remember watching it. Mr. Bean was on YouTube. I was just watching. I was like, oh my God, this is just like a crash. If we do improv, so it's a crash chord in physical humor, you know, just. Oh, yeah. Rowan Atkinson is a yeah, he's masterful a, he's a, he's at moving his body. Yeah, he's a genius. Um, Did you say I made that when you were there? Um, no. But, uh, so I was thinking Ministry of Silly Walks. Yeah. I also really love Lumberjack song. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I that was another one that was on my bird comedy CD from my friend yeah. uh Kevin Yost. Shout out Kevin. He's a stand up in uh Milwaukee, maybe? Mm-hmm. I'm bad at knowing where he lives. He lives up north in one of those places. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. But yeah, he <laughs> he made me this whole CD and yeah, I listen to the Lumberjack song all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Monty Python on there. I'm always partial to their musical mm. stuff too. Like, you know, always look on the bright side of life. I oh, love man. that yeah. song, which I think is also part of where I gravitate towards Eric Idle too. Mm, yeah. Sure. On the music side, we were talking about the Sir Robin scene, which I love that minstrel song. Yeah. Here comes Sir Robin. <laughs> He's describing all the ways he could die. Yeah. Like, That's okay. That's all right. That guy is Neil Innes, and he is a he was in a group called the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. They were like a parody group in the late '60s. Okay. They made their first appearance in Magical Mystery Tour, the Beatles movie, and oh. they're playing during like a cabaret scene. And what's significant about that is that he and Eric Idle met, you know, because he started doing comedy, and they both would produce a Beatles parody called The Ruddles. Oh, yeah. All You Need Is Cash. And he played John Lennon, and Eric Idle played the McCartney figure. And there are three things. I'm a huge Beatles fanatic, so that alone gets my attention. But Mm -hmm. it combined, like, Eric Idle and all the guys from Saturday Night Live in the 70s. Lauren Michaels was like I think a producer yeah, so you had people like Bill Murray um, Jim, John Belushi and all these people coming in so that's why he's in Python because he has those strong ties to Eric Idle so I always thought that was interesting like oh yeah that's the Ruddles guy <laughs> <laughs> and the best part of uh, the Ruddles is Bill Murray the K there was a disc jockey in the 60s called Murray the K that discovered the Beatles he was like their American disc jockey and they cast Bill Murray as Bill Murray the K in the parody. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Nice. I did think of one. It's it's still been like 10 years since it came out. But a parody that I really enjoyed was uh, Walk Hard the Dewey Cox Story. Oh, yeah. yeah that's that was good. Fun. That was great. But, yeah, it's still been like 10 years since <laughs> that. <laughs> it's sad that bi- biopics develop tropes. That people's lives yeah. become tropes. You know, that's the best part about that. That you can parody that. Should you do like a biopic? A series of biopics that's nothing but people's uh, Olympic stories. Oh, yeah. I would watch that, that shit would, out of that. I would, right? I would too. I hear we're, we're coming up with gold in this podcast. I know, yeah. <laughs> Write that down, actually. That's a, that's Call on the patent. the president of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm on it. <laughs> so, what's your favorite? We probably have covered it, but what was your favorite scene in the movie? Like, what's the one that really gets you every time you watch it? Hmm. It's tough. Like, this is such a loaded movie. Yeah. I know my mother-in-law's favorite is The Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Because she kept talking about that when we were driving home last night. How that just tickles her to death every time. 
Um, I don't know. There's so much in this uh, movie. I, I don't I'm thinking in my head. It's, it is. Like, <laughs> I, it's. I'm going into a Spanish Inquisition scene in my head. It's right. this. Yes, it is this and the scene. Yes, yes. <laughs> and of course, this scene, this scene, and, and the third. Like, <laughs> I know that's exactly. What I was like, well, I love this, but I also love this. So yeah. I'm having the same issue, and I I presented the questions. So uh, I'm struggling with it. Just did that so you could go last. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're on to me. That was that was my tactic. Well, I guess one of my favorite parts is the the witch scene mm-hmm. and the whole just like oh, I can't pick that one. Trying to <laughs> lead the peasants into thinking and <laughs> like the the weird flawed logic of like yeah, I love it too. Like yeah. what else burns? Wood and like <laughs> what else does wood do? The satisfaction of the other peasants when one gets it right. I also love when he bows down. Like, who is this man who's wise with science <laughs> to King Arthur? It's the most absurd science in the world. Yeah, and like I love that. Like, what else burns? Witches. Like. <laughs> They do the best parodies of mob mentality in the mm. world. They do it in Life of Brian too. With the the boulder rock scene, throwing rocks. It's a similar. The, the the only people that have ever come close is Parks and Rec. Yeah, for their town halls. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> the great thing is that they get is that the people don't care what you're rebelling against. They just want to kill somebody very quickly. That's all they're there really right. for is to yeah. see someone die. Well, and the, the spectacle. It's like Twitter notice. Yeah, it is. But, like they dress her up too, and they're like, "No, look, she looks like a witch. Like, we yeah. didn't put that on her." And it's like so obviously just like tied around yeah. her, her face. And then they they fess up to it like, "Okay, we did make that on her, but she's still uh, a witch." Hey, hey, okay. Okay, yeah, we did the hat too. <laughs> All of that, yeah. That's great. So I'll, I'll pick that one for now. Sure. It's a I good mean, choice. Somebody, I mean, there's the Black Knight and the Rabbit I love. Um, but the one that I, watching it last night, that, that I love because of, I love it, but I really love it because of the end. And, and, the, and there's actually a punchline there. Um, it's when they go to Camelot and they show the big dance scene and they're dancing <laughs> and they're doing and they show this long elaborate scene and uh, you know you got the guy in the dungeon clapping and, yes. uh, <laughs> uh, and then after that scene's over and he's like oh that, no I, I'm really interested let's go and they all leave yeah. <laughs> instead of going to Camelot they decide to go after getting there yeah, yeah. tis a silly place tis a silly place and they leave it's just so great <laughs> I, you know, the bum, you know, or yeah. like the guy that's actually imprisoned, in, in you know, starts clapping in the well, middle of the song. Drunk and like they're just sitting there dancing, kicking stuff, <laughs> dancing on tables for no reason. It's <laughs> great, but it is. I think one of the things I noticed, I'm just, maybe I'll just pick like a moment instead of a scene, but um, with Lancelot and his steed, uh, when they were going through uh, the forest on the way to uh, the, the castle. Um, I just love the fact that how he keeps talking to him as if it's his horse. <laughs> and it's just a subtle thing about him just denying the reality that he doesn't have a horse. Like he jumps over the creek and he changes the coconut thing. Uh-huh. And it's just, oh, well done. It's like, just, like, just like that little, the little moment of him yeah. congratulating 
a non his assistant for a non-existent horse for doing a thing he did. Right. <laughs> it was just I don't know why, but like that was the thing this time <laughs> that that broke me in like a weird little detail moment. Yeah. yeah. From this one, I mean, yeah. so I'm gonna pick that just as like like a, like a, <laughs> a, a you know a watch for that mm-hmm. kind of subtle. I, I love that too, and uh, mine currently I think is the aforementioned bridge scene with the troll. That's something that I just discovered this time around. Like, damn, that's just an amazingly brilliant comedy. Mm-hmm. But you know, the White Rabbit and even the Sir Robin song. I mean, I could go on and on like you guys because so many of them. It's not like one superior and it stand out to the others. They're all equally brilliant vignettes that we're getting. You know, well, you even get thinking back to your Camelot thing. You even get three. You get a rule of three of that. Yeah, you get. Camelot denied, mm-hmm. silly place. You get the monster that dies because the animator has a heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> and you get the cops that show up at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like three different times they get thwarted by the fourth wall, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the fourth wall they just they just obliterate. Then they'll come back to it. Like get on with it when they all start mm-hmm. saying get on with it during the castle anthrax scene. Thank you, boys, for writing this. You know? scene. I thought it would be cut. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, too, that that's a sexist scene. I think there's so much great comedy, especially with uh, the the actress who plays the maiden. I think she's terrific mm-hmm. in that scene. Well, they're basically calling out the fact. Thank you for not cutting the scene so that the women had roles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she literally says that. <laughs> she does. She looks straight to the camera like, "I'm sorry, this is going on way too long. We know that." <laughs> <laughs> Get on with it, you know. <laughs> Which is funny because John Cleese even said like he didn't think that those scenes should be in there. Yeah, that was interesting. It was interesting last night because he showed the very ending of the of the film where he did his own personal edit where he took out he thought Gillian was going on too long with certain images with the army getting ready oh. for battle. He went on and on about like, oh, and here's Gillian he goes, just enjoying Fucking smoke. Terry Gilliam with his images. It was beautifully <laughs> smoke. Terry Gilliam loves smoke. Yeah, I like all the smoke. And I have to say, when I saw John Cleese, it's because like, he's right. Because <laughs> he went straight to the battle. He yeah. did, and I honestly, watching this movie as a kid, that was always the part where I was like, why is this going on so long? <laughs> yeah. So when he was like, I re-edited it, I'm like, he's not exactly wrong. Right. But... <laughs> and knowing what we know now, because I, you know, is Gilliam is, has a great visual style. It's very mm-hmm. distinct. And I was watching images last night, like, even though they're cut out, it's like, wow, this are beautifully realized images it's like a shame to see them all cut but yeah it's a comedy and, and, and Cleese got that more than maybe Gilliam did like you need to get to the punchline immediately well, considering it was Gilliam's first directorial you know oh, yeah debut you know his directorial debut yeah like I kind of don't blame him for like going like oh I'm gonna try to actually show <laughs> some images here because right. clearly that's what he's into <laughs> spot we had the budget to get 40 guys out here Let's yeah. show 40 guys. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> this movie had two nominal directors, too, Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Gilliam was responsible for the cinematography, the images, and Jones was responsible for working with the actors to get the scenes set up. So, yeah. And what he said last night was interesting, where he said they weren't really getting along as I'd co-directors. I've heard that before, yeah. So <laughs> when they were editing the film, he said... That Jones would go up and re-edit what Gilliam just edited, and then 
then Gilliam would go up and re-edit it back to where Wait he wanted it to be. the other one fell asleep and then go and re-edit everything. Because <laughs> nice. creative collaboration always goes smoothly, people. If there's one thing I've learned over time. Yeah, we've had to stop this podcast four times because one Wheeler brother has stabbed another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there was just <laughs> gushing blood. It was just like Monty Python. Scott and I re-edit the episodes behind each other's backs all the time. <laughs> Usually yeah. it's four hours we record. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Middle of down after... This is going to go to an hour and a half and I guarantee it, you know. And we saw, this This is the year 2011, so you're this is how long it takes us to edit. That's right. Podcast. That's right. I, so that final scene, the, the castle that they're, like, getting ready to storm, I've seen that castle in real life. Ooh. in Scotland and I have like a picture of it and it's so tiny because you can't get close to it because it's privately owned mm-hmm. but I remember being so excited when we got to see it in Scotland because I was like it's the Monty Python castle <laughs> wow so every time <laughs> I see that scene now I'm like I've kind of been there as yeah. close as I could get <laughs> did you go on a horse when you were <laughs> We did, like, my brother and I were definitely doing my yeah. high hunk quotes and stuff when we saw it, but yeah. You had to. Mm-hmm. We saw, it's not a, you know, it's not as close to the movie as that, but Scott and I did see the musical Spamalot on Broadway when it was, was yes. playing about ten years ago. It's not as funny as the movie, I didn't think, but they did a good job of trying to replicate yeah. that, you know. Yeah, it's not as, yeah, you do, yeah. Man, I don't even. Re- I remember seeing Spamalot, but I don't remember how closely it aligned with the. Either I really don't remember it, to be honest with you. I remember yeah. we were there. Doesn't it go? I haven't seen it, <laughs> but I thought those it was mushrooms. More yeah, into that's the, exactly right. <laughs> like Arthurian legend, a little bit more, because isn't the Lady of the Lake a character? Yeah, I think that she has a musical number in, in the in the musical, like because obviously they, they they transferred it over into like different musical bits that weren't in the actual yeah. film. Mm-hmm. I think what I preferred with the movie though, when I saw it, is like the movie has that that gritty cinematography that I just think highlights the satire so much more. Well, you know? It's when you can edit an eighth of a second quicker. Yeah, in comedy, an eighth of a second is everything. Yeah, I mean, and that. Versus on stage versus, you know, where you can fine tune performances just, just enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the other thing is like you, you have a song, a three minute song. Mm-hmm. The timing of a comedy can kind of get so bogged down <laughs> with all these songs that you have in there. I mean, not that songs aren't fun, but the timing of the comedy that, that makes this, if you're going to see an exact replica with just songs built in. Of Spamalot or of My Wife on in the Holy Grail, you're gonna be disappointed, especially because it ends with uh, always see on the bright side of life, <laughs> which it wasn't in this film. No, <laughs> no. but uh, that's because it was uh, Spamalot was written by, by Eric, Eric Idle. Yes. Yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So he, get your royalties where you can get them, exactly. kids. That's yeah. what you learn. Well, and then they've had, uh, you know legal troubles with that and they owed some the producer of the film back royalties oh. for uh, Spamalot and so they that's part of why they did so many shows at the O2 a few years ago is they had to raise money to pay the back royalties mm. oh okay okay mm-hmm. 
My and, you know, because John Cleese is paying a lot of alimony to his third wife. Oh, my goodness. Wow. He must have said $20 million like three times. It was pretty funny. <laughs> my favorite funding story with Python is that George Harrison pretty much created Handmade Films, a production company, so Life of Brian could be made because nobody else was taking it because it was so controversial. But George Harris mm-hmm. goes, I, he was a huge Python fan. He was very close with Eric Idle and those guys. And he said, I need to get this movie made. So there's another reason why I love George Harrison. Yeah. He I allowed... mean, the guitar playing's pretty good, too. Yeah, but... yeah. <laughs> but being the producer of Life of Brian, uh, <laughs> I, love, I love George Harrison. Story. Traveling Wilburys, you, you, you can get me on any George Harrison topic. I'll go for <laughs> That's days. always great, man. Yeah. Yeah. Producer of Life of Brian. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm sure this is going to be challenging for all of us, but what's your overall take having seen the movie recently? Like, is it still hold up for you? Is it still a favorite? Oh yeah, it definitely still holds up for me. And having seen it so many times, I still laugh throughout the whole movie. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like sometimes, especially with comedies, when you've seen it so many times, you stop laughing and you're just sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that part, I remember this. But actually, you know, and I think getting to see it in a theater, like the Ohio Theater and everything was really mm-hmm. awesome too. But I think it holds up and... I hope the, like, weird little comedy nerd kids are still finding it, like, in middle school and high school, but I don't know that they are anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I I love it. This is one of the movies I remember watching as a kid, and, like, Eric said, quoting um, with my friends. I had a friend, Chad, and we would quote this movie all the time, um, because it just... It's one of the most quotable movies ever, number one. But mm-hmm. um, so I, this, this, you know, I this is one of the uh, se- seminal comedies of my of my life. So I probably use that word wrong, but um, I don't care. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, very that holds. I think it holds up. Yeah, yeah. it holds up to a dictionary. Um, yeah. But yeah, this is it, it's a it's a great comedy, and I'm I'm like Amanda. I hope people are still finding it. I think virtually the whole movie is on YouTube in some way or another. Yeah. So. One of the six different cuts. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, I wish I could have seen it in a theater with you guys. I feel like comedy is always better when you're not watching it by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's a huge rarity, even with like one of my favorite comedies, if I laugh just watching it by myself. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not... I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an easy laugh in an audience. But not yes. so much by myself. Yes. Yeah. A lot of times, that's when like the comedy nerd brain kicks in. It's like the ah, they subjugated the rule of three here by going to a five and point. <laughs> so I mean, that, it kind of makes it a little bit tougher on something like that, especially when you've seen it, you know, dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I might laugh more at Life of Brian or Meaning of Life because I've seen them less because they were on TV. The, as much as I think that this is. Like we're saying, kind of like this is the touchstone in. A lot yeah. of people didn't get past this in Monty Python. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people loved Holy Grail. The kind of like, like I said, like the genre nerds. That if you go to the birthday party, you want to watch Monty Python? Yes. And they put on a Holy Grail. Because to them, Holy Grail is yes, Monty Python. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the entire catalog, uh, yeah. which you should celebrate. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, so sometimes I laugh more at the other ones because I've seen them less. But that makes this no less of a, of a great comedy. Yeah. And I actually had the same struggle that you had with Holy Grail. It's like, man, everybody goes to Holy Grail, but they haven't seen Flying Circus, and that's what I got first exposed to. Yeah. So I'd always have to point it out. People like, oh, I just want Holy Grail. Because people, they think they've locked certain things in. It's like, this is enough for me. 
I have a life. I don't want to go past yeah. Holy Grail. I do wish people would watch Life of Brian, though. I mean, mm. despite it being quote-unquote controversial, it's a great film. It's amazing. And, yeah, Meaning of Life, too. Like, there's great comedy yeah. bits in that. I think for me, when I watched this last night, especially, it dawned on me like, for me, this may be the pinnacle of comedy for me. Like, the stuff that I genuinely love. You know, if I had to pick one thing, which uh, there's a lot of things I love, but I said, like, this, I love this absurdist comedy. I kind of miss Monty Python in a way that we don't see these type of movies being made. Like, it's been influenced, but, you know, mm-hmm. I just loved it. And, like, you, I'm like, I'm hoping people keep discovering this stuff because I think it's great. It's something like when I cover this stuff, I'm like, the things I love, because I love a lot of stuff from the 70s, is that still going to hold up with subsequent generations? Are they still going to appreciate it on the same level that I do? And I, at some point, I just have to make peace with the fact that it worked for me, and that's probably enough. If it doesn't yeah. carry over, it doesn't. I was trying to think of, like, when would be an appropriate age to show this to my nephews? Yeah. You know, anymore, it's not shocking compared to everything else. I think yeah, I true. think it's the more an appropriate age is one where they can appreciate it more as, like, is the content correct for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think the content is it's pretty tame compared to what kids see nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and what is a little bit more lax for network television and the such. But I think it's, like, grasping the concepts... Yeah, yeah, I guess that's like my my oldest nephew is nine, and I took him to see Doctor No this mm. summer, and he was not a fan, and it was way too slow for him. Mm. Yeah, which yes. part of me was like died a little bit on the inside because I'm like, but it's James Bond. Yeah, <laughs> think about how slow the first Star Wars is compared to Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true, and so that's why I'm like, oh, I can I don't know how like he would take the end of. Holy Grail, you yeah. know that kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think I think it's an age thing because they have to be able to appreciate it more than they. Yeah. They I'm hopeful too because I think there are kids out there that they do reach. It's just never going to reach it on the mass scale when we grow up because that was fresh for us in a way, mm-hmm. you know. But I think there's still going to be people like I'm. I loved Doctor No, and that was made in 1962, and I just saw it for the first time. But I loved it because I. You, not to be a snob, but we're sophisticated in our film taste. We can put things in their proper yes, that's context. That's what goes back to our PC debate in context. Yeah, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. You can see it for the product of its time and the inherent sexism and everything else. Exactly. You can still enjoy it. Are you yeah. saying that James Bond is sexist, Eric? I, <laughs> I don't know where you would get that, that I'm idea. I'm it's fucking awesome. Oh, yes, it is. I, I became a James Bond fan this summer, by the way, so just as a side note. So. Glad to have you on board. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I always end uh, the podcast by saying if you can't see it in, the, in a theater, like as Eric was unable to do last night. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> we were able to do as Eric was unable yeah, to do Yeah, we were able to do this. No one's unable to see the sign I'm giving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, uh, thank God it's a podcast. You know, We don't want to <laughs> throw people off guard. Uh, but uh, I always feel the best way to watch is on Blu-ray. I would say 4K Blu-ray, which I don't own myself, might be even better than what I recommend now. But uh, <laughs> there was a anniversary edition of, of Monty Python. I actually own the original Blu-ray that was released in 2012. I think that's the one I have. Yeah, that's a, that's a good transfer and everything. I think it, beautiful. But they also had like a special anniversary edition of it that came out like for its... Uh, 
like its 40th anniversary where oh, they think they added a few. Yeah, I think it was 2015. That might be the one to get because I think it's the same transfer. But uh, if you can't, the one's probably like cheaper from 2012 because it probably doesn't have all those niceties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that should wrap it up. I want to thank both Amanda and Eric for making an appearance here. Uh, Thanks for having you me. You guys were amazing. Uh, do you guys have anything to promote? Anything coming up? Well, I don't have any performances coming up until like December, but uh, you can find my. I have two podcasts Amanda's Picture Show Go Go and Culture Papa Go Go, and you can find both of those um, on the website amandaagogo.com. And I'm sorry. Oh, you can go. Yeah, you can go. Yeah. <laughs> you can probably tell me. All right. Um, yeah, so Sean <laughs> we and I are, are going to yeah. <laughs> be at Improv Wars at uh, Shadow Box Live on October 12th, which is a Thursday. And then on October 13th, I'm performing with Pocket Lent. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think Eric, a group of John Kuhn. Yeah. Sternberger and Kuhn. Kuhn Sternberger. Kuhn um, we'll be there, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's long form improv at the Cafe Kerouac. Um, also, I should say Tony's doing a show Monday, October 9th at Mad Lab with uh, her group Clutch, an all female group, and uh, it's going to be a show with uh, Sir. Um, uh, Sir Leonard. Sir Leonard. Yeah. Yeah. I almost said Sir Lance a lot in the Management <laughs> We know why. There's too. so many yeah. Sirs on this podcast, so that, that would be a great show. and uh, we'll let you know if Tony has anything else that you want to say. Yeah, I'm good. I forgot about that show on the 13th to mention. Uh, I did forget about it, though. It's on my calendar. Yes. <laughs> I was going to forget about it with my plugs. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, it's been plugged. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I guess um, I'm just basically doing one-off stuff with John pretty much anymore, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on the writing. So uh, if you just want to keep up to date on stuff, ericsternberger.com. Um, I'm basically kind of announcing stuff I'm winning now. So which is, yes, yeah. please mm-hmm. explain to everybody what you're winning. You know. uh, I, I are just you winning won. like, a, like a Charlie Sheen? Or are you winning? <laughs> 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 uh, Have you been drinking Tiger Blood? Right. If you need cocaine, <laughs> yes, queen. Um, <laughs> explain the type of winning there. No, so yeah, I just had a script win Austin Revolution Film Festival for best uh, TV pilot. And I'm currently up in the finals for the Sundance Writers Lab uh, 2018 for a feature-length uh, script that I wrote that uh, is all about a speed trap in New Realm, Ohio. Oh. So, it, trust me, I actually did make that into a movie. Um, <laughs> so, fingers crossed on that stuff and, and a lot of other little projects. Hopefully, uh, someone buys soon. Yes, yes. And I it would be great because anytime we review a film, Eric can say, "Well, I'm an award-winning," <laughs> <laughs> and I will break we this can, down, break down appropriately. Um, and uh, award-winning, not money-winning. Money, so, no, no. Once I can get paid and sell out, that's when. <laughs> that's exactly. That's when you've made it. Oh you know, God, yes. You know. Um, and I just want everyone to, uh, if you can, you know, you know give us a, a review on iTunes or i or Podbean or wherever you find us, and also visit our Facebook page and Twitter page. We're always promoting out there, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks a lot for coming, uh, listening. Bye. Speaking of tongues.
By what name are you known? There are some who call me... Tim? The Lady of the Lake. Her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords, is no basis for a system of government. Stop! What is your name? Sir Galahad of Camelot. What is your quest? I seek the grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. No, yes. Oh!